Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is your esteemed host, Clint, and I have a special guest host today, my father, Dan. And uh, we'll leave out last names for uh, <laughs> so we don't get doxxed, but um, he actually ran for Congress in the 90s uh, as a libertarian and had some other political attempts. Uh, I'll let him give kind of his background. So go ahead and tell us, tell us why people should uh, listen to you. Thanks, Clint. First, I'd like to say how proud I am of my son for doing this. <laughs> thank uh, you, thank you. For sharing a uh, wealth of information with the world. It's important, uh, more needed now than ever. Uh, my background, I, I did run for Congress as a, as a Libertarian candidate here in North San Diego County, uh, and I also ran for the State Assembly uh, in California. Uh, learning experience, but uh, very hard to make any headway against the uh, political and media might of the Republicans and Dems. Mm -hmm. So uh, hard to feel rewarded by doing it, but it, it was educational for me. Uh, my, my work background has been an investment advisor and investor in first mortgages for 35 years. Uh, I'm very knowledgeable in real estate and I, I follow the economy closely. For sure. To, to put it mildly, it is, it is a passion of yours for sure. Um, you you actually had a I, I remember your first job or foray into investment advising had something to do with gold and silver and I know that's kind of an important moment in the economy right now so give just a brief brief background on that yeah when I was going through graduate school I worked up in Newport Beach for a company that uh, sold uh, gold and silver coins but they also sold diamonds and gemstones. Uh, they were predominantly interested in pushing the diamonds and gemstones because they had enormous markups. Uh, I refused to sell those because I knew they had enormous markups and the investors would probably never come out whole. So I, I was their best salesman of gold and silver coins. It was uh, before the period when the Hunt brothers ran silver to $50. Uh, and, and so I was at a good point in, in the economy to sell gold and silver. Uh, here we are again, uh, seeing... Uh, all-time records in gold and silver spiking up dramatically the last month uh, based on Fed stimulus and appearances of endless printing coming forward. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've been fortunate enough to get my hands on a little bit of physical silver before the, the run-up occurred, but uh, you definitely, you feel like you wish you had gotten more when, when you see what kind of price spike there's been. I, I, uh, I, I bought with a full hand, but I, I wish I had bought with both. <laughs> yeah, doubling in just a month or two. It's, it's been amazing. It's been incredible, and and it's still not even near record highs. So it could get uh, it could get really crazy. In in some ways, when you when you look at the price, uh, this is just my two cents. But when you look at the price of Bitcoin, you know, hovering in between ten and twelve thousand right now, it really makes you feel like, why in God's name would I not pay a hundred dollars an ounce for silver? You know, like you have this kind of ethereal mystic cryptocurrency that people are paying 12 grand for. And then you have this physical coin that is beautiful. It has, uh, you know, useful properties and people are like ah, 30 bucks. I don't know. That seems a little high. <laughs> you know, it just, it's, it's a weird world to me. It is. And it's a very cyclical item. Uh, actually, my, my father passed away a decade ago and he had a collection of silver and my brothers and sisters wanted to sell it. And we did. But we sold at $34 a decade ago. Wow. And now it's it's doubled recently, but it's still 27 So it's right. still below those, those levels from a decade ago. So it, it's highly cyclical. It's an, it's an amazing situation. But yes, in today's world, it could continue up. Yeah. Given the amount of printing, it, it's bizarre to me that, that it's not approaching its all-time high already. Um, I know that a lot of people talk about it being a better investment option versus gold just because in terms of like watching both of those charts people think that gold has already kind of seen its run and silver has not do you what's your two cents on that do you have a, a preference when it comes to diversification into 
crypto or or precious metals? I certainly would lean towards silver at the present time. Uh, I, I feel that it, it does have uh, many uses and there's not that much production of it. Uh, I'd be a little uneasy about the potential for a downturn if this recession deepens severely because it is it is used a lot in industry and if industry grinds to a, a slow halt then, then it can go down mm-hmm. you know we've seen it before we could see it again but but the monetary side of it is beginning to take control and and people are wanting to have a reserve as a hedge against inflation so uh, you can see why with the government doing what they're doing yeah uh, for sure I- I'm getting more and more, it's probably a term you haven't even heard of. It's called collapsitarian. You ever heard of that? No, I hadn't. Um, it's kind of the version of libertarian where you not only believe in the collapse, you know, because most libertarians see that coming, but they don't necessarily root for it. Um, I, you know, obviously I don't root for it because I know it'll cause tons of pain to my friends and family that aren't prepared. But in terms of getting back to some form of sound money, in some ways, I'm a little bit anxious to see it happen just because I would love to have kind of that restart before I have kids and I can actually have a, a foundation from which to build a freer world again. I just don't see any prudent way out of this current kind of downward spiral. And what's your vantage point? I think the U.S. is an empire in decline. Uh, we've overextended ourselves trying to uh, run the world uh, militarily economically, putting sanctions on other countries, making enemies by by economic warfare, even when it's not military warfare. So I think the debt we've piled up is stupendous. It'll never get paid no. $27 trillion C- now. Certainly not. And and uh, with all the entitlement obligations, it's probably 90 or $100 trillion. It's crazy numbers. Yep. So I, I think we're in a, a severe... A problem situation, a collapse. Unfortunately, in much of history, collapses are followed by fascist uh, leaders. Sure, or when, communists. Yeah, or communists. When people are are hurting and they're afraid and they're broke, uh, they they tend to grasp for for dictatorial type yep. leaders, and and that's a real concern to me. Uh, I think you know, seeing Donald Trump rise like he did, it it kind of smacks of that flavor where where they're looking for a strong man to take control of things. And uh, sometimes that can be beneficial, but other times it can be uh, very damaging. So I, I'm concerned for our future. I, I, I worry for my family and, and children. I want to leave the world a better place. And, and right now we're not doing that. Certainly not economically. I mean, technologically, we've made massive leaps and bounds, but um, economically and uh, governmentally, freedom-wise, we're far, far from, <laughs> from the top. Uh, I, I think my concern is not so much that Trump was a fascist when he was elected as much as the environment that the media, the uh, colleges, the Democratic side of the political aisle have kind of created this fervor and this, this such a psychotic countervailing force to Trump's presidency that there's a real chance that the chaos in the streets will will create the environment in which people will ask for a fascist leader. Yes, I, I think that's a very significant risk this year. Yeah, you know we're we're in the environment where it could become uh, asked for by the people to restore stability. So, uh, dangerous environment. Uh, you know the the economic sanctions against China and Russia and Iran. I worry uh, greatly about those often in history have been the precursors to shooting wars and shooting wars with those three countries would not be a pretty event. So, no. so I, I really hope that cooler heads will prevail and they'll back down the, the neocon faction of the government and, and back down the central banks and we'll restore some normalcy. But I'm not hopeful right now. It's it's uh, it's it's an uneasy uh, situation with the COVID lockdown having decimated our economy. Yeah, for to say, to put it mildly, I, I you and I kind of have a, a little bit of a difference of opinion when it comes to China. So I'd like to dig into that. I am obviously very anti-war, just as you are. However, I'm also very concerned about the rise of China 
and you know having a kind of quasi communist certainly dictatorial type government be the number one power in the world isn't exactly appealing to me how how do you feel about that what what would be your uh tactic to try and stem the tide of of you know their dominance in the global economy well, I, I think certainly some of Trump's efforts to get fair play in, in, rela- in relations to our trade make sense. Uh, certainly uh, the rights to protect copyrights and things like that, intellectual property rights, that all makes sense and that's part of the free market. Uh, you know, sanctions and tariffs like are being used now, I do not think are constructive and yeah. they they can lead to shooting wars and they almost always hurt the wrong people anyway so uh, yeah they hurt the poor people and that's uh, that's damaging so uh i i guess it looks like china is going to reassert itself as a major power they're not on our coast patrolling and threatening the u.s it's us on their coast threatening so true uh, same with korea i mean we're over there you know threatening them so i i I feel like the U.S. both economically and politically needs to back off and let the rest of the world be peaceful and evolve how it will. Mm-hmm. And the Silk Road and, and, the, and the, the Belt and Road Initiative would be good for Europe and, and much of Asia. So I, I don't fear uh, China in the sense that I think they're going to try to take over the world and come attack the U.S. I don't, I don't see that being their direction. I think as long as we're a big customer of theirs, they're going to want to keep us healthy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we're in a position where we, we benefit uh, mightily uh, as they grow and we grow as long as we don't just give away our business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and with, with today's world where tech is such a dominant force in the economy, uh, you know, we do need to protect intellectual property rights. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's the area where I, I get concerned because I don't see any means by which you can really forcefully defend local business without creating the environment that could lead to war with them. So uh, it's definitely a a quandary. You know, I I just don't know. Well, one of my investors was the commander of the naval fleet in the Pacific Naval Submarine Fleet. And when he retired from that, he became a consultant for the Navy and his last assignment was to uh, draft out a war plan against China. Mm-hmm. So not surprising. Clearly, the military is thinking strongly about that possibility. Uh, so it's a bit unnerving. It's it's a big big deal. Yeah. Well, from from my perspective, it's just I'm so concerned because it seems as if, and I've said this in prior episodes, so the listeners already know, but I'm not sure you heard it. So I'll, I'll give kind of the brief background on it. It seems to me that. There was a bit of a kind of a Marxist revolution uh, groundwork that was laid by the Russians or the USSR prior to its fall. And they had already kind of infiltrated our colleges, created a really pro-Marxist sentiment amongst the young leftists in this country. And China kind of picked up that book and ran with it. And now I, th- I believe that we're currently experiencing the product of 30 or 40 or 50 years of communist kind of subversion within our within our society um so that that to me is is the main reason that i am so concerned about china obviously i have no interest in war with them um i just think that there's a really high likelihood that much of the pain that we're experiencing is in fact intended they are actually trying to have their number one competitor fall, let them become a little bit more dominant. I do agree with you that obviously they, they want to sell us products. There's no doubt about that. But once they kind of bleed us out, which is what it appears they're doing. I mean, we're, we've sent them billions and billions of dollars over the past 20 years, 30 years. Um, I'm just not sure that there's a, a symbiotic relationship to be had with China long term. What's your feeling on that? Uh, I don't know if that's the case or not, but I, I think much like what happened to the USSR, if in fact China turns out to be totalitarian and they misguide their economy using that totalitarian power. Which they almost certainly will. Which they almost certainly will. They'll probably face a collapse. Uh, 
mm-hmm. and and they very uh, easily could, just judging by what I've heard about the debt levels and the overbuilding of real estate in China. There, uh, purportedly, there are forty million condos that are sitting vacant. They've overbuilt. They've got cities that are entirely empty yep. that they just built uh, for the future. Potemkin villages. Yeah. So it's yeah anything to create jobs, and and so they don't use the market as a means of dictating what they do. So they could have a collapse. Uh, it's not impossible. So I I think we should let nature run its course. I I, I don't I don't approve of us you know trying to patrol their waters trying to certainly not dictate dictate their relationship with other countries in the world i i think we we tread a, a thin line when we we try to tell other countries how to act and if they don't do it then we punish them with sanctions and with tariffs uh I think the U.S. needs to set a better example of a freedom-loving country, and other countries will see that and want to be more like us. But which was was the case back in the '50s and '60s. Yeah, the well, or uh, Ronald Reagan's you know shining city on the hill kind yes. of concept. Even up to Ronald Reagan, we we were still a country to be admired and emulated in some ways. In some ways, and now I think we've gone down a path that that uh, is, is dangerous for our own freedom. Yeah, I mean it's just so clear. I mean, I think any any of the listeners are going to agree with us that we are an empire in decline. It's just a matter of what arises from the ashes. And at this point, because whether you believe my thesis is correct and that there has been an intentional Marxist infiltration into our colleges, um, clearly you have to agree that the leanings of the young, young people in this country would tend to uh, have a socialist kind of dictator come from these ashes so i think that that is my biggest concern whether you're just disregarding china and all that um how do you turn back that tide how do you in your opinion i mean obviously podcasts like this are an effort youtube things like that uh public school homeschooling but any other ideas any other big boy i don't i, I wish i had a, a brilliant answer to how to turn that tide back because i'm extremely unnerved by the magnitude of the socialist leanings in this country and the support that it's getting from the young people as you indicate educated in the public universities i think they really have been indoctrinated to believe that socialism is a viable alternative to capitalism and unfortunately for capitalism we're watching crony capitalism and central bank run economies that are not nearly free market economies and so gives capitalism a, a black eye, even a, though it's not capitalism, a terrible black eye. And, and, and we're, we're living through a, the, the, the epitome of that in a government lockdown over a virus. And, and here we, we end up with 50 million people unemployed because of government dictates. Yep. So it, it's terribly damaging to the morale of the country. It, it's easy to convince young people that they should get free paychecks when they've been put out of work by government mandates. So uh, it's it's a terribly treacherous time we're living in economically and politically. Yeah. And we need to roll back the tide to the freedom, at least back to the freedom that we knew when I was born. Sure. Uh, my grandmother died at 101, uh, you know, a, a couple years ago. And when she was born, there was no federal income tax. Right. I mean, a couple of generations ago, there was no federal income tax. Yeah, now it's 40%. Yeah, 60. <laughs> well, federal, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, federal. Yeah, state, federal, and everything, it's up at almost 60 on high income. So it's crazy right now. And we're in California, so it's just going to get worse. Yeah, it's getting worse. They're, they're voting now on raising our state income tax from 13 to 16% and imposing a tax on your net worth of half a percent a year. Horrifying. And for people that have already left, can you believe that? Yeah, it's uh, it's unconstitutional, crazy, should be fought in court and every other way. Uh, it's just makes me want to get out of the state so bad because of the insanity of it all. Well, you know me, I, I got that project left, but as soon as that's done, I'm out of here. I, I can't be in California. I really can't. No, it's it's becoming a socialist state, and and it's dangerous to anybody who's a wealth producing person. Yeah, or or just someone who's trying to claw their way out of poverty. I mean, they are they are creating an environment where you know Uber and Lyft drivers are now illegal. Like the companies are shutting down and leaving California because they they want to make them formal employees, even though some of these people only work you know 
two hours a week because oh. it's because it's supplemental income and and California state legislators passed laws that made it so that they had to make them you know full time or not full time employees but recognize them as employees pay all of those extra costs which would have made their services untenable you right know? it just would have made it economically unfeasible here so uh, I mean it's mind blowing the ineptitude of the government generally. But then you then you kind of narrowly focus in on California, and it's just like, it's unbelievable, right? You know, like, it is unbelievable. <laughs> like, and these people continue to get elected, and I just don't, I don't understand how, you know, there, there's a, at least I've been told. You can speak more to this because you've been around longer. Was there did there used to be a decent amount of conservatives in California? Yes. For sure, Orange County and San Diego County were were broadly conservative. But I mean, we used to have conservative governors sometimes, right? Yes. Yeah, and, and it, it it was better. It has gradually over the decades deteriorated into a pretty left leaning uh, socialist environment. Yeah, and and you know you know me, I'm not anti immigration at all, but the trend certainly has been that they've allowed more and more illegal immigration. And, and at least with the, when it comes to first-generation immigrants, oftentimes they, they are more pro-assistance from the government because if you can get it, why not? You know, you're, right. you've got, you're coming from nothing, right. from El Salvador, El Salvador or something like that. You're like, oh, if I can get a little welfare here and there, yeah, that sounds great because yeah. uh, I never had any safety net whatsoever. Um, I, I just I'm so concerned for the trend, not just in California, but as a country as a whole. And I think that 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 to me is the biggest concern is that the the options for freedom within the contiguous United States, like Texas and things like that, are already also going at least purple, if not blue outright. And it's not that I'm like a right wing guy. I, I don't believe in republicanism in the, you know, in the party sense. Um, but, you know, these these particular states are have kind of been like the last bastion for hope when it comes to small businesses and and economic sovereignty to some extent, uh, low taxes, things like that, and they're pretty much all slowly being bled dry. And you know the California people that are fleeing are going and voting for the same bullshit in the next state. So I'm very I'm very concerned about that, and I just don't see a you know a swinging of the pendulum back towards freedom. And unless we go into some sort of socialist dystopia, in which case then we might have that swinging. Well, uh, California has tended over the decades to lead the U S in the direction that it's headed. And if that's the case right now, then, then we probably are headed towards a more socialist (laughs) system. Uh, and, And for those of us that are Liberty leaning that, that tends to push us to get out of California. Uh, whether we can find a place that's you know ideal or or at least better is is a hope, and uh, hopefully we can influence things where we land uh, to be better. Well, you you and I have talked a lot about getting out of California, options of where to go. Um, I know Puerto Rico has been high on your list. For those that don't know, how about you give them kind of a, a brief background as to what you know about being not necessarily an expat because it's still considered a part of America technically, but What's it? Uh, what's it provide advantage-wise? Well, Puerto Rico has uh, has been in a depression for over a decade. They can't pay their government debt, and so they opted instead of trying to tax their people uh, egregiously to pay their debts. They've opted to induce uh, wealthy Americans to move there and bring businesses there, and so they've passed. Uh, Act 20 and Act 22, which were uh, laws that would allow uh, American companies to come there and operate and pay a total state and federal tax of 4%. Drum roll, please. 4%. 4%. (laughs) (laughs) And an investor who goes there and finds a way to make capital gains uh, gets those totally tax-free, state and federal. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. My God. Because... Because uh, Puerto Rico is a commonwealth of the U.S., but the people there don't get the right to vote in the federal elections, they don't get taxed at the federal level. So awesome. So, <laughs> so you, can, you can be there and not be taxed federally, not be taxed state, if you can figure out how to make capital gains, number one, or if you can uh, earn your interest and dividend income in Puerto Rico on Puerto Rican income and dividends. Yep. 
So big challenges, but an amazing opportunity for people that are entrepreneurial. Uh, certainly the crypto cloud crowd has already uh, taken advantage of that for the last five years, yep. uh, relocating to Puerto Rico and, and taking capital gains at the reduced rate. It doesn't apply to capital gains on things you've already owned and have the gain, but if it's gains that you accrue while you're there, uh, then you get that, that amazing tax treatment. And the entire island of Puerto Rico is an opportunity zone. So you get tremendous capital gains treatment on real estate. Uh, it's, it's, it's really a tax paradise. And I, I went there last year for a month and, and I found it to be pretty much a Caribbean paradise as far as a place to live. It's, it's got beautiful warm water, you know, 80 degree weather year round. And the North shore of the islands, like a mini Miami beach, very modern, very uh, developed with resort hotels. Of course, the other parts of the island were decimated by by Hurricane Maria, and and they're pretty poor. Uh, but I, I I found it to be a, a real friendly environment. The people are very friendly. Uh, there there is a drug element, and you have to not be out at two in the morning walking the streets. But but uh, in the nicer areas of Puerto Rico, I I think there's a great opportunity to live in a paradisical type of environment and have great tax treatment. Double paradise. It could be. <laughs> I'm trying to get there next year. <laughs> You've been saying that for a while. I'm hoping. Uh, uh, I'm hoping you'll do it. Yep. Um, well, I think you know, you're a hell of a salesman for Puerto Rico, by the way, because <laughs> I already liked it. Now I like it even more. Um, so I guess you've done a lot of research. What are their gun laws? Well, I mean, do we have self-defense there? Do we have the, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights? Like, does that, that all apply? I don't know. Yeah, all of all of the federal laws in the U.S. apply. They have U.S. superior courts there. So they follow the, the laws of the land. The only places they really diverge is in the tax area because it's a commonwealth. They don't have federal income tax. And, and all shucks, we don't get to vote like it matters. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like it matters. That's true. We, we don't uh, get much benefit out of voting. Uh, no. So I, I think of all in all, I, I feel like it's a small enough environment where somebody can go there and make a dent in improving Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. You could become an investor there, make a difference in a, in a small island uh, and and potentially benefit by growing businesses and growing your net worth without paying out 60% like I'm paying right now in state and federal taxes. Can you imagine what my wealth could compound at if I live there for the next 15 years? Exactly. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it's exactly the case. It, it, you know, if people are willing to uproot and go through the transition uh, it, it's it's definitely got an opportunity to it. Uh, the contract is for 15 years yep. with the state with the state of Puerto Rico, so it's a 15 year situation. It's not forever. They may extend it, but but nobody knows that. Yeah. Well, most importantly, as long as it lasts 15 years, that that's enough. You it know? is for it, me. That would be enough. I'd yeah. be like, okay, I'm I'm good to go. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, if I, I don't know if you've paid attention, but there has been a lot of Democrats recently talking about, oh, we got to get these Puerto Ricans the right to vote. So they're oh. they're coming for it. They're okay. coming for that tax haven. Believe okay. it, but they're gonna they're gonna you know wolf in sheep's clothing it and say that they're coming to give people democracy. Right. Uh, but you know that ain't what it's about. <laughs> it's about getting that money from those rich people. I believe it. So uh, all I have to say is that contract that you signed better be airtight because uh, I have a very strong suspicion that you know five six years down the road when the U.S. economy is in the toilet. Uh, they're probably going to try and you know undo that. So mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of very rich people there. Um, so I'm hopeful that the crony nature of our government will protect us if we go there as well. Uh, but it's it's not without its risks, but it is definitely with some major rewards. So I think everybody that's genuinely interested in kind of fleeing these blue states that are becoming increasingly socialist, that's a, a really good option for you guys to consider. So do some research in that. I'll, I'll talk about that more in the future as... I tend to want to pursue that option probably in the next 12 months. I have one big development project that I'm hopefully wrapping up in six months, finally. And then uh, th that could become an, a viable option for me. So we may, I may see you there. We'll, <laughs> That's right. We'll, we'll be neighbors again. Yep. Um, Family affair. Yeah. So 
I don't know if you've been following it, but uh, Portland last night had a shooting of a Trump supporter. Are you familiar with that? I was not. Okay. Yeah. Um, so about a week ago, there was a kid in Kenosha, Wisconsin that, that was in a, a shootout with people. Did you hear about that one? I heard about it. I, I okay. didn't know a lot of the details. but Well, because I'm in the... I'm on the pulse of all this stuff with Twitter, so I'm right on the breaking news. But uh, a week ago, the kid in Wisconsin, just long story short, for those that haven't followed it and for you to update it, um, he was basically a Good Samaritan type kid there to patrol uh, private businesses that were being abandoned by police because the protests were so out of hand. So the cops had basically abandoned all sorts of policing uh, in that area. And this kid who's, you know, 17 years old, goes out there with his AR in the starts, starts in the morning uh, as a lifeguard at a pool, then goes out and cleans graffiti in the afternoon and then patrols uh, used car lots in the evening. I mean, he just sounds like, you know, a really good kid, generally, you know, like just obvious cop tendencies, definitely like believes in the community and protection and second amendment and all that. So I... I have a really hard time knocking this kid, but here's where the story gets tragic. He is uh, attacked by this one guy, um, throws something at him. Someone else fires a gun in the air, and the kid who's sprinting away turns, probably thinking he's being shot at, and shoots the guy right in his head and kills him. And then the crowd approaches him. He, he calls 911 to try and get help for the guy that he shot. The crowd approaches him. He runs away again, ends up shooting uh, two more people, both of which are attacking him, one with a skateboard, one with a pistol. He kills the guy that has the skateboard and, and uh, shoots the other guy in the arm. So that kind of set off this the hot war, so to speak, amongst the Antifa, Black Lives Matter type protesters and the Trump, Blue Lives Matter type people. And last night in Portland, there was a rally, kind of a counter rally. I'm sure you've heard that Portland's been having protests for 90 days straight. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and last night, there was finally this counter-protest of Trump supporters in trucks that just drove through the town, basically, like, you know, playing American music and <laughs> American flags and all that stuff. Um, but definitely looking for a little bit of a fight. Not necessarily, like, trying to kill people, but definitely trying to antagonize. And uh, <clears throat> there's this video out there, and it's looks like a, an Antifa guy. He has one of those like black fist tattoos on his neck based off surveillance video. And he shoots this Trump supporter in the chest and kills him. Hmm. Um, and it doesn't look like there was any necessarily like lead up to it other than the fact that the Trump supporter had pepper spray and he raised it at the last second. So I don't know, man, it's, it's a crazy environment, but the reason I bring it all up is just to kind of get your two cents on. Do you think that, I mean, I know you're not following this stuff as much as I am, and I'll give you my... I guess I'll just give you my opinion first. I think that we're we're on the verge of a potential civil war in this country, and I am extremely nervous about it. So make me feel better. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, having uh, an economic lockdown like we've never had in our history, leading to 50 million people unemployed over just a one-month period, is catastrophic, and it leads to huge amounts of stress building up in the populace. Yeah. And especially during the summer, like especially during a hot summer. And unbelievable. It's, it's been historically hot too. But beyond that, I, I think it, it's likely that there, there has been de- democratic uh, backing of some of the uh, Antifa actions uh, trying to make an environment that's hard for Trump to manage and, heading into the election, uh, making something that is in in the benefit of the Democrats, at least they hope so. Uh, so uh, how much of this is politically motivated? How much of the lockdown was politically motivated? How much of the Antifa rioters is politically motivated? I don't know, but they've set up an incredibly dangerous economic situation, which is what I'm acutely watching yes you know uh, how that'll ripple through the economy and uh, the real estate market ultimately but uh the stock market has reacted remarkably to the fed stimulus yeah. uh, and it looks to me like last year in september we had the overnight markets seizing up and the fed had to start pumping in 50 billion a night to keep things moving i think that we were in severe economic crisis starting September of last year, and it, it whether coincidentally or not, uh, 
the lockdown uh, of COVID gave the Federal Reserve and Congress the excuse to pour money into the markets. and Like they've never done before. Like they've never done before. And, and, and a portion of that, I, I, I think I read 250, 350 billion of it went direct to people in, in federal unemployment and other benefits, but huge portions of it went to the crony you know, corporations yeah. to bail them out. And now they're even buying junk bonds with taxpayer money. It was about it was about ten percent of the bailout package was to the people of this country, and ninety percent was to exactly who you'd expect. You yeah, know? and that's that's the evil that we're up against at this point is that that the the debt burden is being piled on future generations to reward the crony capitalists that, that are that are tied in with the government and the Federal Reserve. I think it's a it's a a terribly dangerous environment economically that could lead to a deflationary depression or it could lead to a hyperinflationary blow off either way it's going to be the poor people that suffer the most mm-hmm. and and it's it's already created the widest wealth gap in history you know where where huge percentages of of the uh wealth in the country are owned by the top 10% yep so uh, the anger over all of that is seething below the surface it it certainly could lead to a civil war if we get you know uh, right versus versus uh, left uh, type in, skirmishes in, skirmishes inflaming yeah. well it's it's happening uh, it, whether or not it spirals into that i'm not sure yeah i'm not sure either i don't think anybody is but the government stood down i mean that right. the government in these blue cities directed by the governors are just flat not doing any police work. And, you know, I'm not pro-cop. I'm not, I would definitely prefer to have privatized police forces and things like that. But as long as we have this system, yes. if you're not going to do your job, why am I freaking paying you? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> why do you guys even exist? Like, all you do is shoot unarmed people and then let the businesses burn down? I mean, it's it's insane. Yes, it is. It is insane. And, and it, you know, to compile, to to compound the damage already done by all of the unemployment by having stores burnt and vandalized and their their supplies stolen it's crazy i mean we are really destroying the small business in this country yep. our our 24 hour fitness looks like it's gone out of business forever they and filed bankruptcy on their that's not even a small business no it's 450 locations yeah and they filed bankruptcy and they may never reopen our local ones so well, and, and and just consider the knock-on effects from that um, brick and mortars toast commercial real estate is toast everyone's been working from home so they've already established that they don't need office spaces for many of these companies are never coming back to their leases they're never coming back so you're going to have cascading defaults in the commercial arena as soon as these bailout funds end i just see absolute demolition of the commercial real estate market do you see any hope for them I don't see much hope. It, it's it's certainly going to be a difficult environment, and there are going to be defaults, and the government's probably going to step into the CMBS market and bail out things for a while. Jesus. But you can't bail out everything. It, eventually, we're going to face a severe recession. Well, well, you can, but then you're going to have a dollar that's worth nothing. Well, exactly, so. and, and it's hard to tell. I, I think that's the the huge debate that I'm trying to figure out right now is are we going to have a deflationary collapse followed by an inflationary blow up or are we going straight to an inflationary blow up and and my thinking and and many of the smarter people i read thought that we would have a deflationary environment first from the 50 million unemployed the defaults 25% of california uh homeowners not paying their mortgages uh, you know that across the whole country probably yep so uh, you know, we're in a default situation already, which is highly deflationary, and the unemployment is highly deflationary. But if the Fed starts directly printing money, uh, we could have hyperinflation. So it's very hard to know how this is going to turn in the short term. Well, I'll give you a, a quick footnote. Uh, the Fed became the biggest invest- investor on Earth this week. <laughs> the biggest investor on Earth? Yep. Just a, in terms of their balance sheet, what they've what they've purchased in terms of stocks, they're the biggest investor on earth. Wow. Okay, I did week. not know that. That's according to Zero Hedge, which is usually pretty good about their information. So, oh, yeah. um, it, 
check check one up for the uh, inflation right away if that's the case. Because <laughs> yeah. if you're printing money and just becoming the biggest investor on earth, that's incredibly inflationary. I mean, there's just no two ways around around that. Um, I I still tend to believe that they're going to get it wrong at some point, and we're going to have a deflationary period where there's the collapse, the economic collapse, and then they'll hyperinflate us out. We attempted to have that when they shut down the economy like a bunch of psychopaths and they decided to print $4 trillion instead and they, you know, they prevented that day of reckoning when it should have happened. Well, it shouldn't have happened because we shouldn't have had the lockdown, but I'm getting sidetracked. Um, so I just don't know. I mean, we are truly in uncharted waters. No one has ever seen this ever. No, never. Well, the lockdown side, we've never seen ever. The the economic situation is reminiscent of Japan, where they went through 25 years now of deflation. But they weren't the reserve currency of the world. That's exactly the issue. And and the world is running from the dollar as a reserve currency right now. Yeah. You know, China's trying to back the renminbi with gold. Russia's uh, storing gold, trying to back their currency with gold. They've set up uh, banking systems to try to avoid sanctions and the damage that that inflicts on their economies. So uh, quickly, the world is going to move away from the dollar as a reserve currency if we continue to weaponize it. Right. So uh, we're creating an environment not only by inflating the dollar and de- deflating its value, but by using it as a weapon against other countries, we're inducing them to avoid it as their reserve currency. Yeah. So uh, I think for all of those reasons, likely over the next 10 to 20 years, the dollar is going to lose its reserve currency status and we're going to suffer because of it. Yeah, for sure. And and we have benefited in untold ways because of it. No doubt. Over the past 30 years in particular. I mean, I think a huge portion of the fact that we've been able to be such uh, economic illiterates it's just the fact that we're the reserve currency of the world. I mean, our our government has been ran like, you know, a high schooler who just got his first credit card. I mean, they right. they they flat do not care about any sort of sense of fiscal responsibility. And as a knock-on effect, because of that, we have a, I mean, it's not entirely because of that, but it's partially. We have an entire generation of young people that think that you don't have to pay back money that you borrow. You know, they right. all these kids that are that went out and got six figures worth of uh, student loans, they're now convinced that the government's just, not only will the government bail them out, but they should. You're right. And that they're victims if they don't. You know, it's, it's, I just can't emphasize enough how concerned I am about the future of this country given that meme, given that, uh, that mindset that exists amongst the young people. Like, I know, yes, usually the youth are the more lefty, dumb people <laughs> mm-hmm. right but when did they when did they grow up like i'm not seeing these people grow up i see 30 and 40 and 50 year olds that are are still you know voting for bernie sanders it's like they they're just never going to have any sort of economic sense i just don't know when we stem that bleed it's just it's awful <laughs> it is it is awful and and now it's been amplified tremendously by by people on on uh, unemployment insurance state and getting federal Bonuses. So we, we've all become welfare queens. Yeah. All of us. <laughs> it, it's, it's really pushed the whole country into that scenario because of the lockdown. So uh, they've they've set up the precursor for modern monetary theory, you yep. know, just handing out money. 100%. And if they do that, the reserve currency status is going to disintegrate and we are going to have both deflationary and hyperinflationary consequences, I believe. Uh, I, the only thing I would push back on is to say that if we see MMT, I think we are seeing it. I think we're living through it right now. The the opening salvo was in May. You yeah, know? clearly we're in it. If 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 it if it continues, the question is, will it continue indefinitely, or is it a short term phenomena? And I'm, I I don't know. What, what political party has any power that's pushing back against it? Trump, right. That that happened under Trump. The the conservative, you know, mantelpiece. <laughs> right. And. And if it's gonna, if you're gonna have the the most spending in history by the Federal Reserve under a conservative, it's certainly not gonna get better under a Biden presidency. Mm-hmm. Like they they have no qualms about borrowing and spending. So true. I just don't I don't see a a reversal of this course unless we just have an outright collapse. And that's I, I've talked about this last week. 
the only the only question I have is, is it better for freedom? Is it better for liberty if Joe Biden wins and the collapse comes under him? <laughs> that's that's a very good question. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly that's that's like the the thing that keeps me up at night. Like, granted, I'm not going to change the outcome of the of the election, so it doesn't really keep me up. But in just in terms of a thought experiment, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know either. I, I I think it's it's very unfortunate that there that neither polit- political party is free enterprise and freedom supporting, you know, both parties are corrupted at their core. You know, one of them is socialist all the way to the bottom. And, and the other is interventionist in the whole world, trying to dictate to the whole world how to live. So I I don't perceive either party as having principles that are worthy of of my support. Uh, And so I'm, I'm very, uh, hopeless that they will lead us anywhere positive so so your question is a good one will we have a major collapse and if we do can we rebuild from those ashes a more libertarian society or do we have to run away and find one somewhere else do we have to find our uh gulch gulch yes and it's a it's a very big question and i'm i'm thinking hard about it right now yep you know, I, I, I'm definitely going to leave California. No question about that anymore. Yep. Uh, you know, this this most recent bill to raise the income tax and put in a wealth tax is insane. No, I so. mean, it, you have to hope that it's unconstitutional, but I'm not going to hold my breath. No, I'm not either. You know, I'm not I'm not going to wait and find out. That's exactly <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, a wealth tax is just the most sinister evil shit I've ever heard of. And other than maybe... Uh, an inheritance tax, like they're right. both they're both equally insane because you've already paid taxes your entire life, and then they just hammer you again. And the fact that they're trying to do it on people who you know accumulate wealth wealth throughout their life, that figure being less and less in terms of total numbers of people that are actually capable of saving and investing and accumulating any sort of wealth, because we have so much wealth uh, disparity in this country. But to to now attack those people in a state that has already taxed them 13% on top of a federal rate of 40% and then to hit them with a wealth tax, it's just like you you clearly want to kill the economy. You want to get rid of the businesses because there's no way in hell these people are going to stay here. I mean, uh, Elon Musk and Tesla are already on their way out. And it's just like I, I heard, oh, I heard today, I forget which company it was, like Paychex or something like that, paid almost $100 million to break their upcoming lease on their renewal in San Francisco. Wow. They wanted out that bad. They paid like, it was like 90 million or something. Unbelievable figures just to get the hell out. Wow. So that is astonishing. Those trends are things that I think people aren't paying nearly enough attention to. And I think that we'll see the ramifications once the unemployment checks stop, once the, you know, paycheck protection act stop, once all these, all this government largesse ends, assuming it does, which we still don't know. Um, I think that's when you see the true economic destruction of the lockdown, and that's when the real s hits the fan. You I, know, I, I think you're right, and my 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 best prognosis is that that's spring of next year, sometime, if they don't keep kicking the can down the road by sending out free money indefinitely. I right. don't I don't know what's coming, but it it's it's certainly getting increasingly risky that we're going to see a severe downturn sometime next year. How bizarre is it that real estate's just uh, starter homes in particular are just going gangbusters. It's, it's amazing. Well, all-time lows in interest rates. Are, I know, but so many people don't have jobs. How are they qualifying for loans? I don't uh, understand. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing that the buyers are out there, but they are. And I think investors are buying too because they can get such low rates. They they are thinking that having, you know... Hedge against inflation, perhaps? Yeah, having a 4 or 5% yield from rent is better than zero at the bank. <laughs> Or or in a government bond, a half percent for a 10-year bond. Well, there, there's no doubt that there's uh, a search for yield across everywhere because everywhere. of our Fed manipulation of the interest rates. Um, you and I have talked about that a long time, but just for the listeners who may not be as privy, um, because the Fed keeps its baseline interest rates so low, that kind of sets the market for base investment returns that you need to you know justify an investment. So if the Fed has its base lending rate at, say, 5%, then obviously you're going to want to get eight or nine percent to justify taking any additional risk, because otherwise you just buy T bills, right? Um, when they keep it at zero percent, well, then 
any investment, <laughs> you know, is like anything above zero starts to look good. So if you see something that you can get a five or a six percent return, you're jumping all over it, regardless of the risk. And I think that's what's occurring in real estate. And I think that's what's occurring in the stock market and everywhere else. I mean, we experienced the 09 collapse together because I was working for you at the time. And I just think it's going to pale in comparison. I, I really do like the. I don't know when. That's the big question. I don't know when, but when it happens, it's going to be un, un, unbelievable. Like yeah. I, I'm just, I'm so horrified at the amount of a bubble that's been created this go around compared to last time. And last time was bad, right? <laughs> you know, like it wasn't even, it wasn't a walk in the park. It was really bad. And it just seems like we are, we're approaching D-Day and, you know, you just got to get, get armed and get in that bunker or something. I don't know. Well, there are a lot of very smart stock analysts who think that the next decade in the stock market will give zero yield yep. because we're well, so from over, these price levels from yeah. these price levels we're so overinflated that their their best projection is that for a decade you'll make nothing in the stock market. So I agree. I, I think that's likely to be the outcome, and that will bankrupt a lot of pension funds, and so. And the, the, the zero yield on, on government securities is going to hurt pensions. Everything is going to come to a head in the retirement world because it's impossible for people to have a retirement if they can't make anything on their money. On top of that, you have an aging demographic. Yes. And you, have, you don't have you know, reproduction rates that are booing that. So, yeah, I just don't, I don't see any way out other than MMT. Like, they're going to have to print it. And if that's the case... <laughs> It's so inflationary, you just have to get out of the dollar. I, I, I know you and I have danced this dance about you know cryptocurrencies, precious metals, things like that. I know you haven't really diversified much into it. Is there a reason why not? Is it just the per like the price point? You're just not comfortable with it. Well, uh, I've made... or you just don't like yielding things that don't yield anything. Yeah, well, that's exactly the the, <clears throat> the reason. I you know my portfolio yields an average of ten percent secured on first mortgages at about sixty percent of value on property. So I've always considered that to be a pretty safe investment. And the ten percent yield, obviously, in today's world with a half percent T bill, is a great yield. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, you know, would I prefer to have bought silver a month ago and doubled my money? Obviously so. Yeah. But for a decade, it went nowhere. Yeah. So it, it's it's extremely hard to uh, know whether I should sacrifice the 10% yield and diversify and buy a lot of precious metals. Obviously, the last few months, I should have. Mm -hmm. I, I'm clear about that. Uh, whether that trend is going to continue or whether we're going to see a deflationary downturn when the stock market finally turns and give you that that price point that you're I, that's what for. i'm hoping for yeah. I, i'm hoping for a a break in the stock market that leads all assets down for a period where i can use that as an opportunity to jump in and and buy i'm accumulating cash right now for that purpose so I, i'm expecting it i'm expecting the stock market can't hold at these levels indefinitely so I'm certainly expecting to see another February event where the market drops 30% and, and gold and silver dropped hard then too. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm hoping that'll happen one more time right. and I can jump in the boat. What, would you even give consideration or give a look at purchasing some cryptocurrencies? I would. I, I think that would come after precious metals for me. Okay. I have not purchased cryptos. Uh, I, I understand the general thesis about them, you know, the irreproducibility, but, sure. but I, I fully expect that governments are going to come out with cryptocurrency soon of their own, a crypto dollar, and, and how that will affect the, val the relative value of Bitcoin and all of the other cryptos, I don't know. Yeah. And so to me, it's a more speculative investment than my first mortgages. If I can make 10% and have collateral for my money and, and security, I've always been more comfortable having collateral for my money. And it paid off in 08 when things went bust. It did. You know, we came out of it a lot better than most people. So well, uh, what we need to find a way is to be able to pivot and liquidate your portfolio right as the market tanks so that you can then dump it in the stock so then the <laughs> Fed can hook us up because that's the one thing we don't get with our investment vehicle being first trustees. We never get the real 
uh, payback of the feds. You know, like no. we we have to work our asses off to liquidate all these foreclosures when you know we could just throw it in the stock market and have it double in six months like everybody else. Well, it's true. Uh, if you can time it just right, uh, if you have liquidity and you can time things just right, there are major opportunities at the turning points. Uh, it takes a lot of balls to jump in when everybody else is running the other way, but but those are the times when you do make big money, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, I've done it twice. I mean, it's it, <laughs> for me, it's just so obvious when it comes because we live in an eternal bull market. So whenever people go like, oh my God, did you see the stock market? I'm like, bye. <laughs> you know, like, like the stock market's down uh, 40% this month. Bye. Yeah, bye. Yeah. It's, like, that's, it's really that simple as opposed to the people that are like, oh, it's, you know, it's been up 20% every year for the past five years. I got I to gotta take out a second mortgage so I can invest more in the stock market. I'm like, why? <laughs> why are you doing it? Uh, so that, that's always been the debate actually with my mom, <laughs> bring, the, bring the whole family into this. She is, she is the hardest person to talk to about investing because like anytime the, I feel that the real estate market or the stock market is at all time. I mean, not that I feel it. It is at all time highs. You're right. And that's when she comes and knocking like, Hey, should I be buying Apple? <laughs> You're right. Like, Damn it. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years ago. Yes. Now, no, the, <laughs> This shouldn't be so hard. Like I'm, I'm having to talk her off the wall with, uh, with buying houses right now, and it's just like, God, I can't, wow. I can't even imagine wanting to buy a starter home in this socialist dystopia that she hates more than I do at, at three quarters of a million dollars. It's like, why? Why would you want to do that? You know, if you're gonna do it, buy, buy it in Texas or something. Well, we live in the everything bubble now. Uh, Fed policies have driven everything to all-time highs, bonds, stocks, real estate, everything, gold and silver, cryptos. Yeah. <laughs> it's a crazy environment. It, it's, and, it sure has the feel of an inflationary you know, death spiral. Well, it, it has that feeling, but it could be interrupted by a severe deflationary spike. Right. And so... Uh, but only if the Fed refuses to print, it's, right. it seems. Right. You have to hedge yourself both directions. Yeah. Because the Bank of Japan has been printing and buying stocks for decades, and they can't get their economy to go. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's conceivable we could get caught in that same deflationary environment. And I think interest rates are telling us that. A half percent 10-year bond is telling us, hey, there may not be inflation for a decade. Right. And, and it's a serious issue uh, for our country if there is very little inflation for a decade or very little appreciation for a decade. The, the problem, though, is that because the Fed is buying bonds, what does a half a percent interest rate mean? Well, it's, it has spread to the entire interest rate market around the world. I know. And you've got so many government bonds in Europe trading negative. But you also have so many central banks that are printing there and there are local currencies yeah, too. Same thing. Yeah. And so we're, we're in the most extraordinary time. But I, I, I think demographics lean heavily towards deflation because of the low birth rates and the aging populations. And it's, I think the central banks are trying to counteract a highly deflationary exactly. environment. Exactly. And, and so how that's going to shake out, I suspect there are going to be extremes both directions. Right. I think we'll see another 0809 where we'll have severe debt defaults, especially in the corporate bond market. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll, we'll see inflation surges at times too. So... It's a wild period. It's hard to know how to protect yourself. The The dollar has been very strong up until very recently because of the COVID lockdown. Uh, but the dollar was strong uh, relative to all the other currencies. Yeah, so, it's the best of a dying breed. Yeah, the, the best patience. of a dying breed, yes. So we, li we live in a crazy environment. I, I, I hope all of us can find a way to survive. You know, my... My personal immediate goal is to stop paying the damn 60% in taxes because yep, yep. <laughs> that is just killer. And, and for those of you who don't know, after the Great Depression in 29 and into the 30s, uh, the maximum federal tax rate on high income went to 85 and 95%. So they will confiscate. Yeah, oh, yeah. And they, and they forbade gold ownership. Yep. Roosevelt came and, and got and they gold. confiscated it and they confiscated it. So, so we could face uh, major currency controls, confiscation of precious metals. That's a hell of an argument for cryptocurrency, by the way. It can be, and and, and that may be right. I mean, it yeah. may be a, it may be a safety hedge. Yeah. Well, I, 
I, for me, it is a safety hedge. It's definitely a speculative investment. But I think at this point, if you don't have like, say, 2% of your portfolio in it, I think it's a mistake. Okay. I really do. Well, like, that, that's just my two cents. Well, it may be a good two cents. Yeah. It, it's very hard to know how to protect yourself in this kind of a environment. Yeah. You know, so many risks when everything's in a bubble. Right. And, you know, even making 10%. When rates are nothing, it feels like it's great, but at the same time, I recognize there's huge risk in the real estate market. Yep. So you know, I, I'm nervous. I, I'm nervous even at 50% of value. I'm nervous. Yeah. It's terrible. Well, because it's 50% of inflated completely value, completely <laughs> just fed and it created value. I, it that that to me is what's so concerning. It. I mean, I I will say one thing though that has given me some hope for the. Uh, our portfolio in terms of trustees experiencing the amount of cost that goes into a development, the development. Yes. I'm like, Oh no, real estate should be worth a lot <laughs> That's right. because you pay so much in, you know, permit fees and taxes and inspection fees and blah, 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 blah. It's crazy. It I mean, is. it's absolutely crazy. I bought that dirt for nothing. Right. And I'm going to have to sell them for a decent, amount just to make any profit. Uh, it looks like I, I could make a ton of profit if this market holds, but it just it just really reminded me that like not all of this is purely about the Fed. You no. know, like it is about government on all fronts and it's not just the Fed, it is also local uh municipalities. It's awful. And people don't even know it. That's the saddest part. You know, people go like, "Oh, real estate's so expensive. How am I supposed to ever buy anything?" Stop voting for these assholes. They're right. making it impossible for you to afford anything. Like, I just don't know when people are going to learn. It's so, it, and it's in a way, I feel bad for them, honestly, because it is a really complicated topic to be able to understand the amount of regulations that went into every every layer of cost that went into the the construction of that home. How could you possibly expect some average dude who's just working a you know a blue collar job to understand all that? It's really it's really a big ask. So. I don't know. Um, in California, particularly, it's a very expensive to build. It's crazy. La subdividing land can take five years. Yeah. It's, it's crazy expensive. And, and I've watched developers go bankrupt just trying to subdivide land. Yep. So it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult environment. And in addition to that, because of everything that's happening in California, I've got a borrower in Lake Havasu, Arizona, and they are absolutely blistering hot in the real estate market right now because people are evacuating out of the big cities of California. Yep. And they want to buy someplace that's affordable, beautiful, has a lake, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're going there. Yeah. And so that market is very strong now. Well, Joe, Joe Rogan just went to Austin. So you could expect Austin's market to be flying. It has been. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The tech companies have been relocating there and it has been doing very well. Yep. So... Texas, Florida, the markets where the state has no income tax are getting an influx of, of population from the Northeast and the West. But you know what that means? It means more productive people, more people that that wouldn't necessarily vote for the Democrats that are already in power are leaving. Oh, which, absolutely. Which means that it becomes more and more entrenched that it's going to be blue until the implosion. Like, yeah, I think that's... Why it's time to move out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's hopeless to expect it's going to turn around. Yep. I don't see a turnaround in California. Well, we've, we've done an hour. You got any more? <laughs> well, I, I just, I, with all the pessimism about the economy, I, I would like to leave on a note that I want to believe is positive, which is the amazing innovations coming from the tech world. I think the next 20 or 30 years, if the central banks and governments of the world don't ruin us, I think that the tech world is going to create amazing inventions that are going to revolutionize our life, probably extend our age, age span. Uh, certainly our quality of life will go up dramatically if we are not ruined by war dollar collapse and, yeah. and all the other things we've talked about. Well, I, I think most of those things will come about, even if we have an economic collapse, the war is the one that, that could actually stop that. So God willing, we can prevent any major wars. And uh, I think we'll get through the economic collapse, whatever comes personally. Uh, I think eventually we will. Yeah. I mean, it'll be tough. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but yeah, there, well, we went through 08 to 10 and it was painful. Yep. 
difficult and we came out the other side of it, but we came out the other side of it with a government that was printing money left and right. Yeah. So uh, there, there are going to be consequences to all of the money printing and, and the debt. And, and the debt is spiraling you know, on the personal level, on the corporate level, on the government level. We are in deep yep. in the U.S. And I don't see how we get out without severe pain. Everyone's balance sheet looks like Enron. <laughs> yeah, kind of that. That's a good analysis. I mean, we, we are all con artists at this point. Everyone is borrowing and living off of it. It's, yeah. it's awful. It, it is uh, dangerous. It's what it is. And I, and I, I hope uh, your listeners can find prudent ways to protect themselves and get to the other side. Well, since you're retired, I don't think you have anything to plug. But uh, <laughs> anything else you'd like to say? Uh, no, I appreciate, uh, the fact that your listeners are there. I, I, am so happy. There's a contingent of libertarian oriented people thinking progressively about freedom, free enterprise, uh, our individual rights yep. and, and hopefully countering some of the socialist trends that we see all around us and keeping our head screwed on well enough to understand that, it's not necessary to lock down our population because of a virus. We've lived with viruses for centuries and we'll live with them for centuries more. For and, sure. And lockdowns don't prevent the virus from spreading. Well, so. you, you'll be extremely proud to know that my, uh, my listeners and my Twitter audience, they have been, I'd say 99% absolutely furious about the lockdowns and i only saw a very very small amount that were so afraid of the virus that they kind of abandoned their principles and and went the tyranny route but i'd say 90 literally 99 percent. they were all of them were all over it from the from jump they knew that it was a power grab they knew that the virus uh danger was overstated these people are very smart Smart, they're smart people they 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 know the game they know the propaganda game that we uh, you know toil under when it whether it's the media or the politics or the politicians or whatever um they really get it, so yeah. I I agree. Let's uh, let's second that uh, that cheers to the audience. Thank you guys for listening, and I will check you next time.